No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. Next week at the Yale Bowl, the renewal of one of the great rivalries in all of sports. It is the game, Harvard at Yale, a football rivalry that goes back much more than a century to the very beginnings of college football. College football this year celebrating its 150th, its sesquicentennial anniversary. And you could say for the first half of the history of college football, Ivy League football, absolutely central to the game. That has not been the case in the last 65 years since the Ivy League made the decision to de-emphasize football. But even after that decision was made in 1968 on November 23rd, one of the greatest, one of the most epic, one of the most exciting football games ever was played at the Yale Bowl. It is known as the game among all of the games. And joining us now is the author, George Howe Colt whose book, The Game, Harvard, Yale, and America in 1968, was published last year to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the game. George, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. George, um, for people who are unfamiliar with that remarkable game that ended in a 29-29 tie, what makes it so significant even now? Well, the significance um, is that, it, as you mentioned, it was it's one of the most thrilling college football games of all time. Both Harvard and Yale came into the game undefeated for the first time since 1909. Yale was ranked 16th in the country going into the game ahead of, and nobody who knows anything about college football today will believe this, they were ranked ahead of Alabama and Nebraska. <laughs> um, and so uh, it was a... It was actually a game that would affect the, you know, if Yale won the game handily, it was said that they would vault into the top 10 football rankings. And what made the game so uh, fascinating at the time was Yale raced out to a 16, they had a 16 point lead with three minutes to go. Harvard scored, Harvard went down the field. They ended up scoring 16 points in the final 42 seconds of the game, which is almost a mathematical impossibility, uh, and tied Yale 29-29. Absolutely stunning Yale, which was heavily favored to win the game. Now, the reason people still remember this game is not only because it was a thrilling game, but um, because uh, because it was a tie in 1996, as you probably know, the NCAA uh, uh, voted to to uh, allow overtime. So there's not going to be any more tie games in college football. And so um, that was one of the reasons the game is still remembered. But for me, what was interesting about the game was that, that it was this seemingly miraculous truce kind of, uh, although Yale players didn't see it that way, set in the midst of an extremely polarizing year, 1968, when all sorts of things were happening in the country to to divide our country. There's a lot to be interested in in the game from 1968, 51 years ago. Next week, um, there were a lot of players who would go on to do remarkable things in their lives in and out of football. I think there were Three Rhodes Scholars on the uh, combined rosters of the two teams. Calvin Hill, who would go on to a great career in football. Tommy Lee Jones was playing guard for Harvard. Uh, and that remarkable finish that you mentioned. But the book really is about uh, the backdrop 
uh, of the country in 1968 uh, in, in the middle of the Vietnam War. Uh, the campuses themselves, Harvard and Yale, which were just boiling over with tensions and anti-war sentiment. Uh, how do you situate the story of the game and football, which which in many ways we think of as um, kind of a cornerstone of of society uh, when society was falling apart at the seams? Well, that's so interesting. That's a good question because, you know, at the time in the Ivy League schools, particularly Yale and Harvard, um, and particularly at Harvard, football was seen as, you know, a very, very militaristic sort of uh, right-wing sport, I would even say. The, the Harvard students, you know, sort of scorned the football players in, in some ways, whereas at Yale, football still played a major part in, in campus life. But in 1968, when both of those teams were moving through their seasons uh, undefeated, um, even the Harvard students start, started to get interested in football and started to think, this is kind of remarkable. And I think on both campuses, football provided something of a relief from all of the stresses that were going on in the world at the time. I mean, most of the students at Harvard and Yale in those days, as soon as they graduated from college, they were going to be facing the draft. And so um, they were thinking, my God, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to Vietnam? Am I going to go to Canada? Uh, and football, I think, in that miraculous you know, season for Harvard and for Yale provided them with a diversion, an outlet. Oh, let's go to the Yale Bowl. Let's go to Harvard Stadium and forget about the war for two or three hours and just watch these two, you know, amazing teams uh, do what they do best. Again, we're speaking with George Howe Colt about his book published last year, The Game, Harvard, Yale, and American 1968. Colt was nominated for a National Book Award for Nonfiction for his book, The Big House, about his family's home on Cape Cod. Uh, that was that book was published in, in 2003. You're a Harvard man yourself. Describe to uh, our listeners who don't really understand what it's all about, the Harvard-Yale rivalry, if, if we can do so in, uh, you know, in fewer than a, a few hours. <laughs> well, as you alluded to, you know, Harvard and Yale, Yale primarily practically invented the game. Not quite. They, it's to Harvard and Yale's endless chagrin that theirs was not the first football game played in this country. Uh, um, they were beaten by about five years by Princeton and Rutgers. Um, but, but once Harvard and Yale began to play, uh, they pretty much made all the rules for the sport through the end of the, 20, the 19th century and the early 20th century. Walter Camp at Yale pretty much Devised the modern game, and um, well, as, know, a, as a Cornell did, man, I do have to give Pop Warner a little <laughs> credit. I mean, it's, it, you're right; yes, it's all yes. Walter Camp, but we do, ha you know, I feel obligated. Uh, you know, Pop Warner did make make some important thank contributions. You. Thank you for uh, that. Um, and on the field, Yale and Harvard pretty much dominated. Uh, perhaps Cornell did too, but I think <laughs> Yale and Harvard with the, with the, you know, they won. You're right. A lot of national championships up until about 1925, and then uh, and then those, you know, the Ivy League began to fade. But what made the '68 game remarkable is that, you know, it was one of those years that the Ivy League was in resurgence. Um, you know, also Princeton in the 1950s with Dick Kazmaier, who would win the Heisman Trophy. There were there were little waves of excellence for for Ivy League football, and '68 was one of those waves. But 
you know, um, Harvard and Yale pretty much defined the sport, uh, as, as you mentioned, really for the first 50 years, 50 years of the sport. You know, of course, we're talking about 1968, the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy have taken place a few months earlier. Uh, race riots in many American cities. There is uh, unrest, as we said, particularly concerning the draft, which is now um, which is now taking more um, college educated kids. So the campuses are, are, are in an uproar. How was Harvard and how was Yale reacting to the larger societal forces at this time? Well, one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I had a real desire to know what the players on that field, I was 14 when I was at the game and I saw these players and they were like Greek gods to me, but I wanted to find out who they were in 1968 when I wrote this book. How did they react to things like the draft? How did they react to the war? How did they react to the, the assassinations and and all of the really horrible things that went on that year? And indeed, you know, Many of the players, all of the players were affected in some way. But for instance, Harvard's top player, John Tyson, who was a, uh, who was, um, would, uh, had, had an NFL career in mind and certainly would have probably would have gone on to play in the NFL. After Martin Luther King's assassination, um, he actually quit the team to devote his life to, uh, to, uh, furthering, um, the cause of African Americans on uh, on the Harvard campus, and uh, he helped uh, set up the the um, uh, you know uh, um, the the, the African American Studies major at Harvard. So he quit the team. He didn't actually play in the 1968 game. Um, Harvard also had uh, two members of Students for Democratic Society. Listeners may not remember this, but Students for SDS was the radical anti-war organization, and uh, Harvard, two of Harvard players were members. In fact, five months after the game, they would be part of the group that uh, took over University Hall, Harvard's main administration building, for, for a night before they were uh, dragged out by the Cambridge uh, police. Uh, and uh, Harvard had a Vietnam veteran on its roster. He was in all Ivy safety. He hadn't touched a football in three years before he came back from Vietnam in 1968 and rejoined the Harvard team. And he would play a big role in that Yale game. Um, four of the players on the field that day would go on to to, to serve in Vietnam, uh, and all of the players would be in some way affected, you know, by that year, by that era, you know, as all of us who lived through that era. A tumultuous time and a remarkable game. We didn't even get to the famous headline: Harvard beats Yale, twenty nine twenty nine. George Howe Colt's book is the game. Harvard-Yale in American 1968, the Harvard-Yale game taking place again at the Yale Bowl as it did in 1968 next weekend in New Haven. George, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I appreciate it. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.